Hello to all of you out there. I am Ulrike Seminati, host of the podcast, Empowering Female Leaders for Women Who Want to Thrive. Every week you will get new perspectives, exciting insights and empowering messages of women from all over the globe. Welcome to another episode of my podcast, Empowering Female Leaders. I am pleased to welcome today Odile Remert, who is an international mindset coach, speaker and author who allows for powerful transformation by bridging the gap between neuroscience and overcoming life's challenges to achieve dreams and goals. Odile's passion is helping individuals to step into their authentic power by gaining control over their physiology and by changing the roots of limiting subconscious beliefs. Odil, do you want to say a few words about yourself? Yes, thank you, Ulrika. I'm so happy to be here and thank you so much for inviting me. Toward the end of 2015, I was 51 years old, divorced, renting a room in a shared house in England, cleaning other people's houses, suicidal and unable to pay my bills. And within a few months, using the techniques I'm going to share with you all today, I was not only able to pay my bills, but I was traveling internationally, including paying for my son and my sister to join me on one of my trips to Greece. And I now own the rental property, two of the rental properties I used to clean back in 2015. That's so I'm very excited to share it with you all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we are very, very curious to hear more. I know that you are very much into neuroscience, understanding how the brain works, how the brain influences our emotions and our behaviors and the actions that we take. And before going into how you can get hold of these limiting beliefs somehow and even change them, I think it's necessary maybe to explain a bit how does our brain work, you know, between the conscious area of our brain and the subconscious area of our brain. Yes, of course, absolutely. So thinking of the conscious part of the brain as, the, you know, what we kind of are conscious of, of course. So the thinking part. So if you... Think of the brain as we're used to seeing it. That's that gray walnut shape that we all are, are familiar with. That's the cortex. And when we have thoughts, when we think something, that's connections between neurons in the neocortex of the brain. So every thought, every moment we're thinking, that's connections between neurons. And those connections trigger matching chemicals in the limbic system. So as we have a, a thought about something we're worried about, the, those connections between neurons will trigger stress chemicals. And those stress chemicals will create the feelings of worry, fear, anxiety, those kind of sensations that we recognize as emotions. When we think about something we're excited about, something we love, something we're grateful for, those connections between neurons trigger feel-good chemicals like serotonin, oxytocin, um, endorphins, dopamine, and those create, of course, good feelings. So it's very simple the way the brain works uh, if, with, um, with emotions. It's not always easy. And the reason it's not always easy is because of the unconscious part of our brain that is concerned with survival. And so the part of our survival system is, of course, those stress chemicals. So 
stress chemicals create the fight, freeze, flight state. So they impact us in, in that kind of way to help us survive. The challenge is that those stress chemicals are much stronger than feel-good chemicals to keep us alive. So they're concerned with keeping our focus on the bear or whatever other danger is about to attack us. So that's why they're strong. And that's why it's easier to feel bad than to feel good because it's important for those stress chemicals to keep our attention on the so-called danger. The problem is that the stress chemicals that are produced when we're feeling upset or angry or worried, hurt, betrayed, all of those negative feelings are the same chemicals that are produced when our life is in danger. So the effects on the body of stress chemicals, they cause blood to be redirected from the organs to the extremities, so to your arms and legs for running away or fighting. They speed up your heart rate. There's all kinds of those kinds of things. But in addition to that, they cause blood to drain from the prefrontal cortex of our brain, where we do our cognitive thinking, to the back of the brain, uh, which is the unconscious part for, again, for running away, fighting or pretending to be dead. And so that means that whenever we're feeling any negative emotion, when we're feeling intense negative emotions, we literally can't think straight because there's very little blood in that part of the brain where we use for our cognitive thinking. I think that's a very interesting insight also for corporations <laughs> when, you know, they put, they put their employees under such a pressure and such a stress, which then obviously means that they cannot be as productive or creative or even focused or concentrated anymore because this whole frontal cortex <laughs> is not really served by blood anymore. Yeah, that's an interesting view to see. And I think many people do not really think very much about the brain and how that influences our way of behaving. I think what is interesting as well to understand that our thoughts are not just this intangible thing, they create chemical reactions. And every thought we have changes the structure of our brain. So it's, it's something that is in permanent movement and evolution and that there is logically a way of helping this evolution to go into a direction that we want it to go. <laughs> and I think this is what you are doing. Do you want to build on that? Yes, indeed. Absolutely. And, you know, one of the examples is when we probably all experienced this, where you get into a situation where you're triggered by someone or something, and it's only later that you think, ah, oh, why didn't I say that? You know, you come up with all the ideas of what you could have said or should have said. And the reason for that is once you're out of that situation, you, you, so you had your stress chemicals in your system at the time and your cognitive thinking was offline. Once you get out of that situation and the stress chemicals start to come down, blood returns to that part of your brain. Then you start remembering or thinking of you can be creative, you can, your communication is better in that. So one of the things that we teach is to gain control over your own brain and body chemistry to help keep stress chemicals down, feel good chemicals up, which means you're keeping blood in that part of your brain. So you're able to think strategically and think clearly and come up with solutions, be creative, see opportunities that you've never seen before. It affects your judgment, all of the cognitive thinking part, all of the cognitive thinking, the higher levels of thinking of the brain. Is this a long-term change which you can achieve with this method? Yes, indeed. So there's immediate benefits. So if you like, I can take you all through that little exercise. It's very quick. So I, I'll do that in a minute. And 
so it, there's an immediate effect. So you can change your, your chemistry in the moment. And the, then just like physical exercise to get fit, the more you do it, the more your brain and body become conditioned to producing higher levels of uh, feel-good chemicals, lower levels of stress chemicals. And it has a kind of a cumulative effect, just like getting physically fit. It's like going into a fitness studio, but to do it Definitely. for its own well-being, your mental well-being. Yeah, mm. nice, nice, nice and interesting technique. So do you want to share with us a little exercise right now? Yes, with pleasure. Okay, so for this exercise, you'll need um, something or someone that you love. You can choose a person or an animal. And if you can't think of a person or animal, you can use uh, a place you love or an activity like gardening or surfing. And so... You want something that has no negative attachments. So, for example, you don't want to use someone who you may be worried about or you miss them or you're, you have any regrets. So just love. So pets are very useful for that or animals that aren't your pet, but you love them like elephants. <laughs> right. So uh, once you've got that, then we can start. So take a deep breath. Close your eyes. And I want you to start by thinking of your favorite color. And if you don't have a favorite, just pick one you like. And imagine being surrounded by that beautiful color. Focus on everything you love about this color. And feel the feeling of that gorgeous color. Very good. And now think of your subject, that person, animal, place, or activity that you love. And imagine holding them in your arms in a hug. And focus on the feeling that you feel as you imagine that, that feeling in your chest or solar plexus of love. And then imagine that feeling as a ball of light or energy. And imagine it spreading down to your toes, up to the top of your head, and out to your fingertips. So you're now full of that light, that energy, that love. Very good. And now imagine that light or energy overflowing from you and filling the whole room. Very good. You can open your eyes. You just changed your brain chemistry. I want to add, though, for, for anyone who perhaps was listening and following along who didn't feel it very strongly or who didn't feel it at all, it's okay. Don't worry about it. Just like physical exercise, it takes time sometimes. And if you've got very high levels of stress chemicals in your system already, it can take a little more practice and a little longer to bring those levels down and replace it with, with feel-good chemicals. But doing that every day, first thing in the morning when you wake up, Certainly last thing at night when you go to sleep and whenever you think of it during the day, as much as possible, will develop that ability on an ongoing basis. I also wanted to say that uh, I listened to your episode with Sandy Forster from December 22nd, and I loved her idea of that, the book on the kitchen table. And you can do that with this as well. You can add this exercise to that kind of thing where you're reminded of it and you're doing it all day. Like you and uh, Sandy were saying, it's about consistency. When you said about losing weight, it's it's about continuing past the point where you you think, ah, oh, it's not working. 
that works the same with this. Thank you for referencing this for the listeners who don't remember that or haven't heard it. It was about millionaire mindset, which she does. And she said something that I found really interesting because I know that many people try to change their way of thinking, manifesting things in their life by thinking of them in a specific way. And she said, you need to take this really seriously if you want to make this technique happen. You need to see it like a part-time job. It means it's not just from time to time I do this and then it works. It's really about understanding that what you do with your brain every day, if you're awake 16 hours, and if you spend 12 hours having worries, anxiety, and negative thoughts, your life will evolve in a different way uh, than if you have 16 hours of positive thoughts, which is probably a bit of an illusion, but, <laughs> but at least we can get over a threshold of having a majority of negative thoughts, which is the case for most people. Now, coming to the way how this technique, and I know that you go much deeper in your trainings, but how this technique helps to manage limiting beliefs, because that is uh, going obviously a level deeper and becomes more concrete and is very individual to each person. How does that work? That's it. Yes. And this is, you know, one of my favorite topics in the world. From when we're born, the brain is constantly, of course, absorbing data. We experience things and as the brain registers these experiences, it starts to form implicit memories. So it starts to form unconscious memories that create the structure of who we are and how the world works. So that's how we learn who we are and how to behave and what the world is and that kind of thing. And of course, the bottom line of all of it is staying alive. So the main part of this is, is it dangerous or is it safe? Uh, that's the bottom line. Now, as we have the next experience, that's filtered through the existing structure of what we already have, what we've already learned, what the brain has already learned. And so those implicit memories build on each other and form our uh, self-image and worldview. And from that, of course, that's the foundation of our beliefs of who we are and how the world works. And that is where our automatic reactions and perception and everything comes from that. And so those implicit childhood memories can be changed. And this is a fairly new area in neuroscience, studying memory. We tend to think memory is a memory, and that's how it happened. And we think of it as recorded like a camera records. But the truth is memories are fluid, and they are already changing. So as we recall a memory, it's updated based on what else has happened to us and what else we've learned since the last time. So when we think of something that happened to us when we were five years old, it's not necessarily what happened exactly. Things will change. And in fact, something I realized just recently, there's a scene in uh, our book that I wrote about my suicidal moment where I almost took my own life. And as I was describing the scene, I was picturing it in my head. I was remembering it really well. And, you know, it was such an intense moment that I had a lot of detail. And it was only later when I was proofreading the book that I thought, wait a minute, that's not possible. It couldn't have been that way. So in my mind, my cell phone rang, my mobile phone rang, and I had it on my right-hand side. So I was, you know, sitting in the car and then my mobile phone rang and as I pictured it, it was on my right hand side and I saw the name on the screen and all that. But when I was proofreading, I thought it couldn't have been on the right hand side because I was in England. 
and the car is on the driver's seat is on the other side. It had to have been on the left. But my brain, because I've been living in America for five years now, updated that information without me even knowing. And if it was like uh, a sort of standing up and as a witness in a case or something, I would have sworn it was on the right-hand side. So that's an example of how real new memories can be. So what we do is we take those childhood memories that are forming, that are proving who we are and how the world works and changing them intentionally to the opposite, positive and empowering to prove what we want moving forward. So someone, for example, who feels they don't deserve, that's, I think, a very common one for us. I know I certainly had it, and I think a lot of women in particular, uh, feeling not good enough or don't deserve, there will be childhood memories that prove that. So it's not just you think or you believe you don't deserve, you know you don't deserve because of those childhood experiences. So then we change that to the opposite, positive and empowering. So then moving forward, you don't just believe you deserve, you know you deserve. Does that make sense so far? Yeah, that makes sense so far. And I, I, I really agree. It is impressive how our brain does not remember things in the right way, let's say, because we all think that we remember facts or that we look at facts, that we look at a specific reality Whereas there is no such thing. We all have our own reality and what we believe are facts. Like you say, you remember you're sitting in the car and for you it is totally clear. But with this obvious thing that you change the driver's seat from one side to the other, it can't be. And I think we have many memories like that where we think that's a fact. I remember it crystal clear and, uh, and we don't actually because our brain is doing things that we are not aware of. And this power of transforming what we have in our mind into something different is, is very powerful. Now, I'm interested in how, um, how do you overcome this feeling of, oh, I'm lying to myself because obviously your conscious brain is aware that you are doing that. That's right. This is such a great question. And the answer is to remind yourself that when we watch a movie, we don't sit through the movie going, oh, but it's not real right? We allow ourselves. So we, we get our conscious mind on board to allowing us to experience the movie as if it's real. And so then the brain and body behave as if, as if what we're watching is real. So if it's a scary movie, we will get stress chemicals in our system. The only thing stopping us from running, screaming into the street is that the conscious mind knows it's just a movie, but the rest of us believes it's real. And so we can, at the same time, allow the unconscious part of the brain to believe the new memories, while the conscious mind still knows what originally happened. So it's two separate things. And so I always say to people, when you get the thought, oh, but that's not what really happened, or but that's not possible, answer it with, that's true, but the unconscious part of my brain doesn't know that. And then you allow it. Yeah, that is interesting. I think what we can imagine is within reach, actually. That's that's what I always say to my clients. Even if it's the, the, the brightest idea of your future where you think it's totally unrealistic, but when you can imagine it, it's within reach because somewhere in your brain you have the capacity to think of it and to even feel it and to even project yourself into the situation in a dream, daydream, 
as if it, it was real. And there's a lot of power in this technique. What are your experiences with your clients? What we do is we start with three questions. These are the detective questions that will help you find childhood memories that are specifically related to whatever the issue is that you want to change. So the first question is, how do I know? So how do I know this is a problem or what's the worst thing about it? So if it's self-confidence, for example, how do I know that I don't have confidence? So for someone, it may be because whenever I try and ask for, whenever I try and charge what I want to charge, I feel frightened or I feel unworthy. Or whenever I think about picking up the phone to call someone, I'm too frightened to do that or I don't speak my mind. So whatever it is, you know, how do I know or what's the worst thing about it? The second question is, how does that feel? So for some people, it may feel like shame or fear or unsure, anxiety, whatever's there. And then the third question is, where in my childhood did I feel that feeling? And whatever comes, so sometimes it may not make sense and you think, but that's got nothing to do with it. Whatever it is, if it's negative, it needs changing anyway. So then you write down and, and there's no need to spend time in the negative memories at all. So you just come up with a couple of words to identify them for yourself with the age. So approximate age doesn't have to be accurate. So approximately five years old or eight years old, or whatever it is. And then starting with the earliest one, we change those in order. And I'll take you through how to change one as well in a minute. So that's the basic structure. And I'll give you an example in action. So we did a, a workshop in Seattle a couple of years ago, and I'm going to call her Michelle. I, I won't use her real name. She was in a full-time job, a nine-to-five job, and she desperately wanted to run her own business. She, she was very passionate about being a consultant as an entrepreneur, but she had been trying for years and she just couldn't seem to get herself into the financial position where she was able to leave the full-time job and focus on her own business. And she tried all kinds of things and, and hadn't been able to do it. So we using these three questions. So I asked her, so how do you know? How do you know it's a problem? And she said, well, because I can't get the money together. You know, I can't seem to save up enough money to leave. And I said, how does that feel? And she said, it feels like I'm being held back from what I want to do. And then when I asked her, where in your childhood did you feel that same feeling? What came to her was the memory of she was held back from going to the school she wanted to go to. So she desperately, desperately wanted to switch high schools and her parents refused to allow her to do that. So the reason this is a good example as well is it doesn't have to have been trauma. It can be any experience. So her parents wouldn't allow her to go to the high school she wanted to go to. And that was the same feeling of being held back. So what was happening is now as an adult, her parents were no longer holding her back. Now money was playing the role of her parents. So her brain was finding ways to, to hold herself back through financial. So and of course, it wasn't just that one experience of high school. There were other ways in which her parents held her back. And so we changed all of those memories. And she is now running her own consultancy business and very successful, very happy. So that's an example of how it can work. 
Yeah, that's beautiful to see, to see. And thank you for sharing this example because it illustrates very well how that works. And uh, I think what is important to understand, we do not have, as you said, we do not have to have trauma. We do not have to have this really important experience that, that shifted our whole life. That's not ha I, I know people who just were told too often to not fall off the bike when they learned biking. And right. this, yeah, <laughs> the fear of their parents that they get, get injured by learning how to bike was transformed into this belief of, well, I'm not good enough because they don't trust me, so I'm not good enough. Very simple things, actually, are the starting points. And finding these in your childhood memory is key, actually. Is it very important to find the one that is the key one? How does that work? Great question, because we have people who have overwhelming amount of childhood memories that they remember and others who can't remember anything at all. So the bottom line is, if it's negative, it needs changing anyway. Now, the other interesting thing about this is as you change whatever you can remember, your brain will update the rest. So your brain will be updating memories that you don't ever remember. So that's what's wonderful about this. So the kind of guideline to this is when you ask yourself those questions and then where in my childhood did I feel that, Go with whatever comes up. And if you can't remember anything from your childhood, the earliest thing you can remember is last week, then change that. But go with the earliest one that you can remember. So if you remember something from last week and something from when you were 20 years old and something from when you were 10 years old, go with the 10-year-old one first. And then as you change memories, you may find others pop up as well, others that you hadn't thought of before. And then you can just change that. For those who have too many, they're sort of overwhelmed because there's so many. I say go with the earliest one first. But what we also do is we use bookmark memories. So we've created six bookmark memories that are sort of the ideal. So there's one of you sitting in bed as a child uh, with bedtime story with your mum and dad with you on either side. And so we've created these memories that are uh, available on our website. And all you do is read through those and imagine it for yourself and go and build it's the feelings are the important part. So you do that. And then anything that pops up that contradicts those bookmark memories, then you can just change those. Do you want to do a little exercise with us before we're ending this talk? Yes, indeed. I'd love it. <laughs> so we can do this. So we'll change a memory together so, so that you can experience the process. So start with a memory, of course, nothing traumatic because uh, it's best to get help with any trauma. And it doesn't have to be a childhood memory for this experiment. So just pick any memory. It could be from earlier today or last week, or if you have a childhood one, you can use that. And we're going to start, first of all, by going to the uh, little exercise I did with you earlier. So take a deep breath, close your eyes. And think of your favorite color again. Imagine being surrounded by that beautiful color. And then imagine hugging your subject, that person, animal, place, or activity you love. And allow yourself to really feel the feelings of love and appreciation. And then imagine that light, that energy, that love filling your whole body. Very good. And now press pause on that for a moment and go to the memory that you want to change. So that the old memory and notice how strong any negative emotions are in that memory. So zero to 10 uh, with 
Zero, I feel nothing. Ten, it's very strong. Notice just very briefly, there's no need to go into any details or spend long. Just notice how strong the negative emotions are. And now press pause on that and come back to the color. It's being surrounded by your beautiful color, hugging your subject. If your subject is a person or animal, have they ever done anything funny? Notice all the things you love about this subject. Now press pause on that. Go back to the old memory and notice if the feelings are still the same or if they're different. Those negative feelings, are they more? Are they less? Zero to ten. Just notice and now press pause and let's go back to the color, your favorite color, your subject, hugging your subject and everything you love about that subject. Fully focusing on how wonderful they are. Very good. Good job. And now press pause on that and go back to your other memory, your old memory, and notice if there's anything left, any negative emotions left. So Ulrika, I'm going to ask you just so we can, so anybody listening to this, of course, you can pause here and go back and forth until you can't feel them, but I'm going to check in with you. Do you still have any negative uh, feelings in that old memory? Much less, actually. Much less. So, so zero and what's how much is there? Zero to ten for for you. I would say maybe thirty percent of what it was before. Good. So we want to make sure that it's gone. So let's press pause on that. Let's go back to the color and you're hugging your subject again. So you want to keep doing this until when you go back to the old memory, there's no negative emotions. So you got your color and your subject, and you feel that love and appreciation. Very good. All right, let's press pause on that and go back to the old memory. So anything negative left there now, emotion-wise? Now it's uh, really nice. It looks uh, uh, as if I wasn't part of that memory really anymore. Yeah. Good, very good. And so now we want to change it. Now to change it, we literally just imagine it differently. Okay. What you want to do is imagine the ideal scenario. So I give the example of if I failed a test in school, now I want to see that I got 100% and the teacher, I'm winning a prize and everyone is like, oh, you're amazing. So you want to amp up the good feelings. Bearing in mind the unconscious part of the brain can't tell the difference between reality and imagination. It can't judge something as unrealistic and can't use logic or reason. So it will believe whatever you give it, no matter what that is. So we want to make it as strong as possible, because as I said earlier, uh, stress chemicals are stronger than feel-good chemicals. So we want to inject some adrenaline into the feel-good chemicals, which means excitement and buoyancy and that kind of thing, so that we can replace it. So now, instead of that, it's a wonderful thing happening. So then as you do that, you repeat that new memory three times in a row with all the good feelings, and then moving forward, refer to it frequently. So like you would learn a new phone number, you want to establish this new memory. So there's a, a saying in neuroscience, it's called Hebb's rule, new, cells, cells that fire together, wire together. And that's every time you have the same thought over and over there's a growth factor between the neurons that establishes that fact and or that connection. And that's what you're doing when you're learning by repetition. So we want to establish these new memories so that the, the unconscious part of the brain accepts them as the new data, the new fact that proves who we are and how the world works. I think that's a really interesting technique. 
And it is like training a muscle, training your brain. <laughs> That's right. That's Where can people go if they want to learn more? Our website, theremitmethod.com is the best place to go. We've got everything available there. We've got links to YouTube channel and there's some free video series and the free starter pack and all of that is there. Okay, wonderful. We will also put it into the show notes so that people can find that easily. And I think this was a very inspiring talk, Odile. <laughs> Thank Yay. you for all the insights. <laughs> oh, it is such a pleasure, Ulrika. You've been an absolute pleasure to, to chat with. Thank you very much for having me on. Thank you. So, do you want to get free access to my ebook Top 10 Achievers Lessons? To get your free ebook, all you have to do is leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Then send me a screenshot of your review to my email address contact at ulrikaseminati.com and I will send you your ebook straight away. This was another episode of Empowering Female Leaders. What are the questions and topics in female leadership that you are interested in? Let me know in the comments on YouTube and Instagram or join our LinkedIn group. I am excited to hear from you. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe for new talks with inspiring women from all around the globe. Thank you for listening.